Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps one of the descriptions that can be made concerning the church or the people of God is that they are engaged in a warfare. We hear rumors of war today. We have seen evidences of wars in the years that are behind us, but they are physical wars. They are wars between nations and countries that are seeking to gain the upper hand and often for monetary or other reasons. But the Bible also talks about spiritual warfare, and not once, but many times. Paul uses this comparison of waging war when he says to the Corinthians, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we bring into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. There's this spiritual warfare that's being engaged on a grand scale that should our eyes be opened, we would see what the prophet's servant saw in the heavens, a warfare taking place. And, and I think as we live in this world today, it's becoming more and more evident to us that that warfare is indeed taking place almost at a palpable level we see the confusion, the hopelessness, and the way in which our world is going. And so Paul rightly admonishes the church, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Take up the sword, the shield, the breastplate, the helmet. All of these things were instruments of warfare to be engaged in in the spiritual battle. And then to Timothy, he writes, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The church is going to be in warfare till the end of the age, until Christ returns and destroys this present evil world and his kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth are ultimately exalted and set up. Now this experience is sort of what we find here in Psalm 40 as well. It's a spiritual warfare that's taking place. We don't know what it is exactly that David is struggling with. Are there outward enemies? We knew that he had many. Was it perhaps some disease of his body or affliction in his body that he was experiencing? He felt overwhelmed and the waves coming over him and sinking in this pit. Or was it because of his sin and his conviction of that before God? It could be any, it could be all. But this psalm is often set before us as a picture of that experience in the heart of the children of God. And as we work through this psalm, what I want us to keep in mind is that the first part of the psalm is really a reflection back upon the experience that David had. And I want to unpack that 
because it relates to the end of the psalm in which he expresses his confidence and faith in God. And we will mention a few things that he's thinking about as he's writing this psalm in between these two parts. So I only want to read the first three verses and the last two, but we want to look at this psalm together. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Verse 16, let all those that seek thee rejoice. And be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Our theme of this psalm is a needed answer from God. This is the tenor. And if you look back at the previous two psalms which are connected, or we could say this psalm is an extrapolation of the first two that come before it, what's really at the root here is David is waiting on God. Not passively, as in a rocking chair, just thinking, oh, looking back at the old days, being good, and somehow maybe something... No, it was an active, anticipating, waiting on God. And that we will see first in his former confession, second in the present need, and then third, his answer of faith. So, dear friends, what we see here is David and his experience in great need. And he's recalling back in these first verses what the Lord had been and what he had done for him. Even though his present condition, he is saying, as we see in verse 17, I am poor and needy. And verse 12, for innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. That's his condition as he's even writing this psalm. But notice how he begins it. He's reflecting back on who God is and has been for him in previous times. David says he was in a horrible pit and in the miry clay. Children, you might think of Jeremiah when he was thrown into that pit and he was sinking down in this mire and other places in the scripture and Psalms it mentions these pits, these places in which you would begin to sink, perhaps like quicksand, and eventually the dirt would just swallow you up. It's a good thing there was a faithful servant who came and rescued Jeremiah. But here David is speaking not physically, but spiritually about his condition. He's crying out to the Lord like a man who is stuck in this deep pit and he has nowhere to turn, nowhere to call out, but looking up to God. 
Look at Psalm 38, we find these same expressions. Verse 3, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over my head as in heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. David, at least in one aspect of his spiritual life, acknowledge that this, his sin, places him in a pit. Some of you may still be in the pit, and you don't even recognize it. You're floundering around. You don't perhaps know God or this experience of David. You're not looking up. You're not crying out in your need, and eventually... Your sin and iniquity will drown you and destroy you. But for those who've come to see something of what David saw here, you begin to recognize your situation, the problem, the predicament that you are in. And he says here at the beginning of this psalm, I waited patiently for the Lord. And this word here in the Hebrew has the meaning of in waiting I waited. It's an intensification. It's like when God says to Abraham, in blessing I will bless you. It's an abundance and an abounding blessing that would rest upon Abraham. Well, here, David is using this word in, I, I waited as I was waiting. There's the earnestness, there's a certain patience, yet an expectation in this waiting. There wasn't ultimately a despair, but a recognition of who he was before God. He was in a pit. He was in a dangerous place. He could be consumed and and die in this pit. And yet David cries out to God. David had come to know this by experience in his life. This pit. And now he was in it again. And he's crying out to God who had delivered him before. Have you ever been in the pit? Some pit in which you're hopeless, you're floundering, you don't see your way out, you don't know where the next day, what it's going to bring. And then, to have recognized something of the spiritual reality that you have sinned against God. You have offended your maker. You've broken his law. He's going to require it of you. It demands death. Then you understand David's language. I was in a pit. Horrible pit. In the miry clay. But he didn't stay there. David had been rescued from this pit. He, in reflection upon this reality, acknowledges where he was, where the Lord found him, and he acknowledges he, verse 2, brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my foot upon a rock. He established my going. 
God heard me, is what David is saying. He's amazed. He can't believe it. God, the one I have offended, the one I have sinned against, the one that should come against me and destroy me, God found me in the pit. He heard my cry. He rescued me. He lifted me out. And he set my foot on a rock. I don't sink anymore. I will not go lost anymore. Of course, that rock here is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt what partly David must have seen here is what he confesses in the following verses. As David would be in his setting in in the ceremonial laws, he would have been uh, reminded that sacrifice, shedding of blood was essential, was necessary in order for one to come into the presence of God. And so here is David sinking in the mire in the depths. He's he's banished as it were from God. He's, He's sinking. And then He sees the sacrifice, the shedding of blood. And he goes on to say, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. And here David is, is telling us, he came to the realization already in the Old Testament, it was not these blood of bulls and of goats with which God was going to be satisfied. It is going to be, as we will see in the New Testament, God's own Son, His blood, His sacrifice. Because the writer to the Hebrews is going to refer back to these verses here. Mine ears thou hast opened, he is going to say is, thou hast given me a body. What David is saying here is, as he recognized that God had lifted him out of the pit, set him on a rock, his mouth, his whole being, his desire from the root and core of who he was now as a new person in Christ was to praise God. Verse 3, he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust. He is now saying to those who would hear him, all those who put their trust in him will join with me in magnifying God. Look at verse 5. Many, O Lord, are thy wonderful works that thou hast done. The thoughts which are to us where they cannot be reckoned up in order to thee. You ever been there where you are just simply overwhelmed and melted, as it were, before God? He's been so good to you in spite of what you've been to him. You couldn't even number it up. You couldn't even put it all together. You can't even put it in words. You you can't even summarize what he's been, what he's done, who he is. For you. And so David, in part of what we're seeing here of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about himself as well. He's seeing that God doesn't delight in the bullocks and, and, and the offerings that are coming to, to be slain and laid on the altar. What, what God is really saying to David is, I want you. I want your heart. 
I want your whole being, your will, your emotions, your thinking, your whole being to be mine, to serve me, to worship me, to love me. And when David experiences being lifted out of the pit, perhaps he thought, I am resting now on the rock. There is nothing that's going to disturb this rest. There's nothing that will come and take me away and I'll be down in the pit again. Maybe you've had that experience when the Lord, for the first time, came to show you who he was. You saw how gracious and kind and merciful Patient, loving, forgiving to you who had been so convinced of your own sin, of your own unworthiness. This same mouth that was moments before, if you will, or maybe days before, crying out, waiting on God. Where are you, God? I'm perishing. I'm sinking in depths. I'm sinking in the pit. Now becomes the same mouth Worship, praise, joy. Can you relate to David? The same mouth is crying out, Lord, be merciful to me. Help me, forgive my sins. Show me the way. And then when you're lifted out of the pit, when you see something in the gospel that gives you hope and encouragement. You see something in the Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and the sacrifice he has done and giving his whole being who delighted to do God's will completely and fully in the place of sinners. Oh, our hearts are overwhelmed. No words can describe the love that goes in return to him who first loved us. That's why in verse 16, David would also say, let all those who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. He says that because he knows what he's speaking here in this psalm, other people know as well. And he's saying to them all, come, join with me in this song of adoration and worship. And so there is already in this first part of the psalm something of our third point of his faith coming to expression. An answer of faith is already present here at the beginning as he reflects back upon who God is. And there's something even at the root and heart of sinners who are convicted of their sin, who are sinking in depths and crying out to God that is evidence of a grain of faith, if you will. How? Well, first of all, they believe the word of God concerning their own condition and their own sin that makes them be convinced of their guiltiness because they've sinned against God. But then they cry to him because all the other things they've tried before has provided no help. That's what David knew. And David has experienced. So the question before us tonight is, do you know something of what David is here describing? 
Maybe you're still waiting patiently for the Lord, but you know there's nowhere else to turn. And we don't find our life, friends, in even this experience of David or in this reality of what David is experiencing. Rather, we find our life in God himself who comes to rescue us and who promises to hear the needy when they cry. Jesus, when he is beginning his ministry and he's preaching his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, who mourn. That's the description that we're given here of David in his own words. And if we are hungering and thirsting after God, this experience is the reality of God is the one who will fill us. Because we're looking to him, we're crying to him. Have you found this place of refuge that David here has found? And could you say with David, come listen what the Lord has done. If someone would find you in those moments that you, you have been set at liberty, when, when, when Christ has been shown to you through the word and the preaching of the gospel and your reading of the scriptures and your own devotions and you saw something in Christ and your heart rejoices, if someone that moment would speak to you, oh, would your mouth not be open? Then like that man at Beautiful Gate when Peter and John were going to the temple and he sets his eyes on them and Peter says, not gold or silver, I don't give to you, but in the name of Christ, stand up and walk. He doesn't walk, he leaps. And so it is in spiritual life. Don't let your own emotions and your own hindrances keep you from expressing what you know in your heart to be true as is pictured here in this psalm. We are so reticent, so reluctant, so self-doubting. We ought not to be. David says, he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and trust in the Lord. Don't you also desire the same that others would hear of what God has done for you, that they too may know him. And dear friend, if you've experienced these things in your hearts, don't be silent about them, but speak of what the Lord has done for your soul. But how can I know for certain, maybe, a question that someone would ask? Well, you never look in yourselves to find this certainty. You never look in your waiting or even in this experience or even in our faith. But David here is recording this as an evidence of the fruit of what happens in our hearts when we come to know the Lord himself. Well, David here has reflected back on his experience of how the Lord has rescued him. 
But how does he now go forward as he is reflecting upon this same truth in his present need? Because notice, as he gets to the end of the psalm here, verse 17, after all that he has said, he says, but I am poor and needy. He is still in a condition of need even after all these experiences. Maybe the same is true for you. As you've walked in the Christian life, you've experienced the Lord's nearness, His help in various ways. He's granted to you to look to Him for help in in times of affliction, in times of temptation. Things have seemed to be against you, and then you've been in a pit, and you've cried out to God, and He's answered your cry. Your feet were set on a rock. But now, today... You find yourself in similar circumstances again. Similar needs again. But I am poor and needy. I think one of the reasons David is writing this psalm is to remind us that even though we've been delivered, even though we've had our feet set on a rock, As we go through life, we will inevitably experience these times again. Is this your present condition, your present need? Notice what David says in verses 12 and 13. He says it again. Innumerable evils have come past me. That's his present condition. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. It's as if David's heart is fainting. It's failing. He's he's oppressed again because in light of this marvelous deliverance God had given him, he is again found in his heart these departings aside from his God. And we know this has happened in the life of David. We can think of the major time in which it occurred with his sin with Bathsheba. No doubt this condition of innumerable evils and mind iniquities having taken hold on him could be expressed here in this psalm as well. But David never takes his eyes off of the Lord. You see, when David is even in these times of trial and these circumstances of sinking in a pit, his eyes are fixed on God. When he sees the circumstances, he is tempted to see them rather than God. You know, when when Peter saw the Lord Jesus... Jesus was staying on the shore, and he had sent the disciples in the boat to go across the lake, you remember? And Jesus comes in the middle of the storm, walking on the water, and Peter says, if it's you, Lord, come, say come, and Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the water, a miracle, because he was looking at Christ until He saw his circumstances until he saw the waves, we read, boisterous around him. And what we find here with David in his heart, he is, though 
surrounded with innumerable evils. His iniquities have taken hold upon him. So much he's not able to look up. But he cries out to God, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And if you find yourself in the pit, even tonight, is this your cry? Do you have your eyes fixed upon the Lord himself? Here we have a clear perception of David In his own estimation, I am poor and needy. Listen to Spurgeon. He says this. This is a saying I recommend to you. I took it up long ago and began to beg for mercy from God. I've been constrained to continue begging every day from the same benefactor, and I hope to die begging. As you look to yourself, as I look to myself, we have nothing to offer to God. David has nothing to offer. I am poor. He was a king. He could do whatever he wanted in some sense. But spiritually before God, I am poor and needy. And that's a good place to be. Because then God can think upon us. God does think upon us. He does not think upon those who are self-sufficient, those who don't need him. But here David is telling us, though I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. This is where the New Testament Gospels go, don't they? If we think we have something to commend ourselves and something in our keeping of the law to make us acceptable to God, we have nothing. But when we come to the realization and understanding that without God and without Christ, we are sinking in our sin in depths where none will be able to stand, we recognize without the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, we will sink into eternal perdition. There's a story, I think it was Spurgeon who probably told it, but this is the, the kind of heart attitude that you find in the psalmist here, and, and I trust it would be found in you and I, but there was the English prince who was on occasion visiting the king of Spain, and the prince was uh, taken down into the galleys of these big ships to see these men who were chained to the ship, and they were the ones to uh, do the rowing of the oars. They were doomed to be slaves the rest of their lives in these ships. And the king of Spain had promised the prince, in honor of his visit, that he would set at liberty one of the men he might choose. And so the prince went from one prisoner to the other and just made some conversation. And he said to one, my poor fellow, I'm I'm so sorry to see you here in this plight. How did you get here? Oh, sir, he said, false witnesses have witnessed against me. I'm suffering wrongfully. Indeed, said the prince. He passed to the next man. My poor fellow, I'm sorry to see you here. How did this happen? Sir, I certainly did wrong, but not to any great extent that I should be here the rest of my life. Indeed, said the prince. He went on to others who told him similar tales. And at last he came to a prisoner who said, sir, I am often thankful that I am here, 
For I am sorry to own that if I had received my due and reward, I would have been executed, and I'm certainly guilty of all that was laid to my charge, and my severest punishment is just. And the prince wittingly replied to him, It's a pity that such a guilty wretch as you should be chained among all these innocent men. I will set you free. Do you see his point? There are many of us who want to maintain our innocence also before God. And the psalmist is reminding us our sin has plunged us into a pit, but God is pleased when we cry out to him for mercy to rescue us. It's the same as the parable that Jesus was telling Of those who were forgiven. Remember the man who was forgiven an inordinate amount of money and it seemed he was thankful? As soon as he had been forgiven by the king, he went off and found someone who owed him a few dollars and he couldn't pay and he stuck him in prison. You remember what Jesus said? Well, the king found that man and he thrust him into the prison, an ungrateful, forgiven man. Well, this psalm is refreshingly different in David's experience. His heart overflowed with gratitude to God, even in his present circumstance. What's your present circumstance? What has God brought you in? You know, God doesn't allow circumstances or temptations or trials to come upon us for no good reason. He is doing that so that we would cry out to him. These circumstances that were here for David, they could have been, yes, indeed, because of his sin. They could have been because of sickness. It it could have been because... uh, There was unbelief in the heart of David at some degree. It could have been because he had become rich and increased with what he had and God needed to show him as all of his hand. It could have been even for God's wise purposes so that this psalm could be written that we who later come in the history of God's redemptive work to learn God's pattern. He brings us, he allows us to come into depths where no one can stand, that we would cry to him in all of our need, that we would trust him more. You know, when trying to think of an example, this is what came to mind, but we deal with people in in counseling who, who perhaps a wife or husband has cheated and committed adultery. It takes a long time for that trust to be built back again and to be restored in this covenant relationship. From God's side, his covenant is faithful, it is sure. He knows those who are his. None of them shall perish. But often in our experience, what it is is a growing 
in our trust, in our confidence after repeated times in which we find ourselves in a pit and we cry out to God and he delivers us. And our mouth is opened in joy and then we come into a pit, whatever the reason might be. And he delivers us when we cry to him and we begin to trust him, trust him. So that when we face difficulty and challenge and temptation, We don't despair. We trust him so that we can come with David to what he's done at the end of this psalm. Though I am poor and needy, though innumerable evils have compassed me, mine iniquities have taken hold on me, I'm not able to look up, though all that be true, yet the Lord thinks upon me. The Lord is designing the trials and the difficulties that come upon our path for the purpose of sanctifying us. And how does he do this? He does it through the preaching of the gospel. He does it through the reading of his word, his testimonies, his promises. And if we would but consider how long we have caused the Lord to wait for us to cry out to him and to recognize our need, If he had to wait that long for his answer to come to us, we would perhaps despair. But thankfully, our God is a gracious and compassionate God. It doesn't tell us how long it took for David to hear the response. But it was in the right time. David did not succumb. He didn't perish. Nor shall you when you cry out to God. Are you crying out as David did by faith? That's the last thing I want to consider here. Here David is saying, though in my present condition, as I reflect back on who God has been, who I see him to be even in my present condition, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks on me. He is my help and my deliverer. David is saying, in spite of all that I see in myself, in spite of all that I am, in light of what he has even done for me, yet it's an answer of faith. Where was David's eyes ultimately? Not on himself, not on his past deliverance, not on his experience. The Lord. The Lord thinks on me. He is my help and my deliverer. It's when we may by faith, even in the darkest of days, even in depressing circumstances, when we by faith may lay hold upon his promise that he is faithful, that he will not let a crying sinner who turns to him perish. And if we get a believing hold of this, as this psalm also is pointing us back to Christ. Sacrifice and offering, though it's not desire, mine ear hast thou opened. The idea here could be even in the Old Testament when a slave had purchased enough that he could be set free. He could also decide to remain with his master and he would take an awl and bore it through his, his ear. Or it could mean simply a body. My whole being I have said before, my whole being is devoted to the Lord. And that was Christ. 
David here, the believer here, is looking at Christ. That's where our eyes need to come tonight. In all the pits that we find ourselves, in all the circumstances of difficulty that we find ourselves, we look to Christ. I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O God. Thy law is written in my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness in my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Our Lord, when he walked upon the earth, told us everything we needed to know about his Father. And when you hear Christ in the Gospels teaching about his Father, he exalts him. He said, I've come to do my Father's will. He has done everything his Father asked him to do, even suffering and death. Because Christ came to do his will. He obeyed the law. He came into a pit. You could say that didn't have a bottom. And as he's hanging on the cross. And he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He experiences what David, what you and I deserve. There's no rock. He paid the price. So that David, even in his circumstances, he now can by faith see God thinks on me. God is my help and my deliverer. When Jesus was not heard and answered in his cry, this cry of David and your cry can be heard of God the Father. And as you read through the Gospels in the New Testament and you hear our Lord speak of His Father and these terms, these loving terms, these terms of compassion and care and love, then let your heart be turned to Him as well. It is for you, dear friend, that the hammer blows that came in to the nails that came in Jesus' hands and into his feet and into his side were all these wounds that he received for sinners. I am poor and needy, David says. But yet, Jesus, who was rich, for our sakes became poor. He who knew no sin became sin for us, who were nothing but sin, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. This is David's here in the Old Testament understanding experience I am poor and needy, yet by faith the Lord thinks on me. 
Is there anything that you would desire more in this whole world than that God himself would have thoughts? Gracious thoughts. Loving thoughts. Eternal thoughts about you. Imagine you have a child you've loved, you've raised them, they've grown older, and they've departed from you. Even as your children are growing up, your thoughts are with your child. What's happening to them? Where are they at? Are they in good hands? Are they being cared for? And perhaps you're thinking about his health and you, you wonder if they receive a broken leg and they're at a distance, how, how can you be near them? How can you help them? What can you do to assist them? Dear friend, how much greater is the Father in heaven toward his children when they are in pits and in need? David says, yet the Lord thinks on me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying. If we know this experience in our hearts of God having delivered us, how is it, friends, that you and I can carry on so long without having that conscious presence of God going before us, that communion with our Father in heaven, so that our mouth will be opened? He put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord. What do you want your children and grandchildren to see and to know about you in your relation with this God? David is saying to us, seek the Lord while he's to be found. Call upon him when he is near Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying. The prophet says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sin be as scarlet, it will be white as wool, as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall have the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, He'll be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Let's pray. Our great God, merciful and kind, reveal to us the way in which we can again be restored into communion and fellowship in love through thy son the one who has given his body an offering for sin so that when we experience these pits places in which we wonder who would deliver us and how we shall meet the next day and how we shall wake up the next morning how we shall approach this broken relationship and how 
we shall be forgiven our sin and so many questions. Lord, help us to have this confidence in Thee that the psalmist had so that our mouth too would be opened in praise and magnifying Thy name. And so help us this week to do so to Thy glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.